You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, located in Strasburg, Pennsylvania. You can learn more about us by visiting oakhillfellowship.com or finding us on social media. Now grab a Bible, a notebook, and get ready to be spiritually enriched by the Word of God. Well, you can open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12 this morning, and uh, I just want to acknowledge that there are probably uh, some of the you who are joining in uh, for the very first time that, that you have uh, never been to Oak Hill. Maybe you've never even been to a church before. And so if that's you, we just want to say welcome and, and thank you for joining us. And, uh, and we, we want to say that this is not what church typically looks like. It's, it's close, but it's not uh, what church typically looks like for us. And we normally gather together and there's a whole room full of people. Um, and so we would love to have you uh, join us with uh, join with us when we when we can get out of this situation when we can get out of our homes again. Um, we would love that, but for now we're just glad that we can all be here together and get a taste of uh, of uh, God's word together and and get a taste of um, even just a sense that that we are in this situation together and um, and and that He has something for us here. And uh, so um, if you're not if you've not been with us, uh, I want you to know that, that we uh, make it a habit of preaching through whole books of the Bible at a time, uh, or at least whole passages of the Bible at a time. And so right now we're in a sermon series uh, called We Are the Body, and that's because uh, the Bible refers to the church as the body of Christ, uh, that it is the visible manifestation of Christ on the earth at the present time, and, uh, and we, we work through whole passages of the Bible because we believe that God wrote a book and that the Holy Spirit inspired human authors and, uh, and he inspired them to write down the very words of God, that this book, this Bible, is the very words of God for us. And so really, I, as a pastor, uh, can't improve on that at all. Uh, the best thing that I can do is try to uh, simply explain what it means and then uh, help you apply it to your life. And so uh, that's what we're going to do right now. Um, so I would encourage you, if you have a Bible in your home, uh, to, to maybe run and go get that. We always want people to have God's Word in front of you. Uh, if you don't have a Bible in your home, uh, you know, your iPhone or your tablet, uh, you can easily uh, get a, a Bible app on, on there. And in fact, if you are watching uh, on one of our live streams, uh, there should be a link to... Uh, to the to uh, a Bible app that has uh, an event and it has actually all of the sermon notes that you're about to see uh, right there and um, it also has the passage that we're going to read so you can have God's word in front of you and so I would encourage you to just click on that link and it should take you over to you version and uh, we use that regularly here at Oak Hill. Um, Whatever you're using, like I said before, you can open it up to the book of Romans. And if you have a, a, a paper Bible like this, you'll want to find the, the big number 12. And we're going to start right next to that big number 12. And uh, it's about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. So uh, you definitely want to have your Bible open there. Um, at our church, like I said, we're in a sermon series called We Are the Body. And, um, and I just find it so interesting that, that we are in the middle of this sermon series about on being the body of Christ. And God at that time would see fit to have us separated for a time. I mean, he knew all this was coming. He knew what, what we were doing and what we would be preaching at this time. And uh, it's certainly not at all what I had envisioned. Um, I, I miss you all, uh, those of you who are a regular part of Oak Hill. And, and I had envisioned God drawing us together more often. 
and I had envisioned uh, that we would have increasing in-person ministry as he motivated us through his word, um, our, our stated vision for this series is that we would grow in Christ-like maturity through serving one another as stewards of God's powerful grace. And, and I just kind of had that totally envisioned differently, but, but while this definitely looks different on the surface, I, I believe that God is far more wise than I could ever envision. And I believe now more than ever that this is the word that He wants us to be in as a church, uh, that this is what He wants us to understand during this season, and that He wants to mature us through a deeper sense of what it means to be the body of Jesus Christ. That He wants us all to serve one another out of the abundance of grace that He has provided. And I believe that a shared social issue like this demonstrates just how much the church shares a common experience. We, we talked about that last week, that we're all in this together. When one member is suffering, all are suffering. When one member is rejoicing, all are rejoicing. And so uh, I believe that this inability to gather right now is actually forcing our church body to adapt and think creatively about how we can be there for one another. Uh, I believe that this absence of in-person fellowship is, is going to make the moment that we can gather again all the more sweet and I believe now more than ever that, that as we can't gather in a building, we can learn what it means for the church to be a body. The truth is that even in the midst of a very challenging time, God has been incredibly merciful to us as a church body. Uh, he has, first of all, given us hope that is in Jesus Christ. We sang about it earlier. We can stare sickness and death in the face and say, you have no hold on me. He's given us in this time unprecedented technology to connect with one another and tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ. We could, we could buy that on Amazon last Saturday and have it ready to go this week. It's amazing. It's amazing. And he, he, he has promised by the power of his Holy Spirit to be with us always, wherever we are, together or apart. So I don't know about you, but, but those mercies that he has shown us motivate me. They, they get me fired up. I'm excited about what God wants to do. And, and they make me not want to waste this trial. They, they stir me up to, to be the body of Christ with you all. And I hope that this is what happens for you as well. And so here's what we're going for in our sermon today, our big idea for the day is this, uh, let faith in God's mercies motivate a life of ministry. Let faith in God's mercies motivate a life of ministry. Now when I say ministry, I just want to make sure that you have the right thing in your mind. Uh, I'm not talking about paid vocational ministry, like, like I'm a pastor and, and so I'm in ministry. Uh, I'm talking about the type of ministry that every single member in the body of Christ is called to do. As we're called to serve one another through spiritual gifts and, and we're called to point one another to Jesus as our primary activity. That's what ministry is. And, and so uh, it's, it's about how we serve one another through spiritual gifts. So let faith in God's mercies motivate a life of ministry. 
Your, your Bibles are open now to a, the book of Romans, chapter 12, and I just want to give you a little bit of context, what's going on in the book of Romans as we open up God's Word there. Uh, Paul is writing to the church in Rome. That's why it's called Romans, and, uh, and he, he doesn't... Uh, He's never been to Rome. He's, he's never seen these people face to face, but he really, really wants to go. And he doesn't want to go to Rome just to see sites like the Pantheon or the Colosseum. Actually, those things weren't even built yet. The Colosseum was, was not going to be built for another 12 years. Uh, what Paul wants to go to Rome to see is the church that has been born there. Uh, up until now, he's been prevented from going, The Holy Spirit has called him in other places, and he's been needed in other places. And so he writes this letter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to express his longing to be with them and to establish the Roman church in the gospel. The gospel is simply the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news that Jesus is Savior and Lord over all. And by the time of writing this letter, the gospel had been working its way all throughout the Roman Empire uh, like a vaccine to a pandemic that we call sin. And it was having a great effect. It was turning the world upside down. And when the gospel was believed, the, the, the believers there then were established and churches were planted. They were gathered together into churches. And, and wherever the good news spread, um, the body was planted, was, was, was established, but, but people also opposed it. They, they twisted it. They tried to deny its power. They tried to make it something that it wasn't. And so Paul wrote this letter to establish the Roman church and to, to make sure that they were grounded in the truth. The first half of the letter is, is devoted to understanding then what the gospel is. He, he takes chapters 1 to 11 to explain thoroughly and argue thoroughly what is the gospel, that it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. And that through faith in the finished work of Jesus, who, who died in our place and who rose again, we can be united to him and have a whole new life in him. That's the gospel. And then the second half of the letter is devoted to what that whole new life looks like. The gospel, it doesn't just affect you in a moment where you walk an aisle or you pray a prayer, you, you go through some religious experience and then you're done. The gospel actually changes the way that you live. And so the second half of the letter is devoted to that new life. And Romans 12, where we, our Bibles are open right now, is the turning point between those two parts of the letter. So with that context in mind, read with me in Romans 12, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, and acceptable, and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. 
the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let faith in God's mercies motivate a life of ministry. Today from these verses, I believe that God wants us to see uh, three faith-motivated steps toward ministry. And the first is this, uh, present your physical body as a living sacrifice. Present your physical body as a living sacrifice. So a life of ministry has to start here. I have to see that my life is not my own. I have to offer it up to God as a living sacrifice. Look at verses 1 and 2 again down in your Bibles. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So again, when Paul says the mercies of God, he's referring to all of the mercies that he's explained in chapters 1 through 11. And what he wrote there is so important for each person to understand. He wrote that all have fallen short of the glory of God. He wrote that that there is no one righteous, not one. You might think that you're a good person. You might think that you can get into God's good graces just by your own abilities, by by how uh, much better you are than somebody else. But he's saying no one is righteous. No, not one. And in our sin, we've all turned our backs on God. We have all worshipped the creation rather than the Creator. We've all sought after our own passions and desires. And because of that sin, we have, in essence, committed cosmic treason and deserve eternal death. It doesn't sound like good news. I thought you said the gospel was good news, Pastor Ben. And and here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus, the the perfect God-man, became a sacrifice that covered our sin by dying on a cross. He he died in our place for our sin. The word that that Paul used in chapter 3 was a propitiation. It means that he satisfied the wrath of God by dying in our place. He became the sacrifice for us, and then that sacrifice rose again. He was a living sacrifice. And by faith in Christ's sacrifice, we are united to him through his death and resurrection. That's what Paul teaches us in chapter 6. We die to sin, we receive new life to live for God. So in chapter 6, Paul writes, do not present your bodies as member, as, uh, I'm sorry, do not present your members, which is your body parts, your members, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. That's exactly what he's saying in chapter 12. That the proper response to faith in the grace and mercy of God is to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So if you, if you truly believe in Jesus, 
It means that, first of all, you've died with Christ. All of your old desires are gone. They're, they're, they're not what rule you anymore. And now you have been raised with Christ for a whole new way of living. Our faith-filled response to Christ's sacrifice for our salvation is our own sacrifice of service for our Savior. Paul, notice, calls this spiritual worship. And I want you to see that that what is described as spiritual worship plays out very physically. We present our bodies. So spiritual worship isn't something that's just going on inside our minds or in our hearts like it's it's just between me and God and 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 it's it's only, you know, this internal thing that that doesn't have any effect in my life. No, no, no. It's expressed in the way that we use our hands and our feet and our eyes and our mouths to relate to the world around us and to give honor and glory to our God. This is going to require us to think differently from the world. Uh, Look at verse 2. Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So so the world has a way of thinking. Uh, The world has a way of living and behaving. And our default mode for every single person is to just kind of go along with that flow. To to fall into the stream of thinking uh, of what the rest of the world is doing. But God says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. As you put your faith in the good news that God has revealed, we, we then allow the Holy Spirit of God to change us from the inside out. He's saying, fill your mind with with His thoughts and His perspective. That you've been brought from death to life by the sacrifice of another. So that you can live forever with Him. Listen, that's not the way that the rest of the world thinks. The rest of the world cannot think that way. Because for them it is not true. It is only through faith in Jesus Christ that we can have the hope of eternity. But for you who have believed, it it must change the way that you live and the way that you use the the members of your physical body. So that means that there are a number of ways that the body of Christ should look different from the world, especially during this current crisis that we're going through in our society. I was reading this week about how how the church responded throughout history to to various plagues around the world. And I I found this excerpt from sociologist Rodney Stark very helpful. It's going to be up on the screen there. He says, during the first plague, the famous classical physician Galen fled Rome for his country estate where he stayed until the danger subsided. So the, the, the most famous physician in Rome fled for the hills. He was nowhere to be found. But for those who could not flee, the typical response was to try to avoid any contact with the afflicted, since it was understood that the disease was contagious. Hence, when their first symptoms appeared, victims were often thrown into the streets where the dead and dying lay in piles. The bishop of of Dionysius, the bishop Dionysius, uh, recounts a different response from the church. He says this. Uh, heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need, and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy, 
For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many, in nursing and curing others, transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead, a death that seems in every way the equal to martyrdom. So here's what's ha- what, what is happening in these, in these plagues of the first three centuries is that while the world is thinking of itself first, the, the church is giving the basic care of feeding and giving shelter to those who were sick. They, they didn't have much care beyond that. They just fed them and gave them a place to stay. And they curbed the mortality rate exponentially even while some of them got sick and died. So much so that... that people were asking about the source of their hope and a lot of people wonder how did the church spread so fast well the plagues were actually part of it the 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 plagues were part of the spreading of the gospel so quickly to the rest of the ends of the world now my point in this is is not to say that we should ignore uh, guidelines that our government is putting out like quarantines or social distancing. Uh, We we shouldn't be running headlong into each other's homes. Let me reiterate, uh, social distancing is actually an important way to love our vulnerable neighbors and our dear hospital workers and to to help us all get back to work. Um, That's a really important thing. But, But my point is this, that the first thought of the one who has faith in Christ is not self preservation, but self sacrifice. The first thought is how does God want me to use my body for his glory now that I know my soul will live forever? To bring this into the modern day, uh, instead of fighting over toilet paper in the grocery store, we, we instead take our last roll and check and make sure our neighbor has what they need. Uh, Maybe this looks like foregoing a birthday party that you really wanted to go to because you want to help stop the spread of the virus and and make sure our hospitals don't get overloaded. Maybe instead of stockpiling our money because we see that the economy is likely headed into some long-term recession, uh, we we make sure that the people in our church have what they need today. Uh, I've been so impressed by the idea in Acts 4 that, that no one had anything, had any need among them. Maybe this looks like uh, if, we, if things were getting really bad, maybe, I don't know what, I don't know what they're going to ask for, but maybe it would look like volunteering at a makeshift hospital uh, because they needed extra help. Not self-preservation, but self-sacrifice. We don't really know what this is going to look like, but our first thought must be, God, how do you want to use my body? I'm here for you. So let me ask you, has faith in God's mercies brought you to the place of sacrificing your physical body for Him? Presenting your body as a sacrifice begins, uh, I would suggest, in, first and foremost, in prayer and in the Word. We need to daily, start every day in prayer, saying, God, use me however you want. Today, let me live in faith that you have shown me all of the mercy that I will ever need, and you will continue to give me the mercies that I need to, to do what you are calling me to do. And then we renew our minds with the truth of God's word so that we can discern his perfect will. Let me just acknowledge that there are a lot of tough decisions that we need to make in these days. Uh, There there are often not right answers, just better and best answers, and we need wisdom. And we need to be able to discern what God is actually calling us to do. And, And we need his word guiding us so that we can walk in that kind of sacrificial worship. Ultimately, presenting your physical body as a living sacrifice will require this second faith-motivated step toward ministry. 
Consider yourself in sober judgment. Consider yourself in sober judgment. This is so critical uh, as we think about what ministry is. As we move towards thinking about spiritual gifts, we need to consider ourselves in sober judgment. Look at chapter 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Basically, what, what Paul is charging the church to do is to not fall into the trap of spiritual pride, of thinking that you're more important than others. That, that your gift that God is giving you to serve others is, is about you, about your self-fulfillment. That, that your gift means that, that others should sacrifice for you instead of you sacrificing for them and for God. He doesn't want that in their lives. He wants something better. He wants them to consider themselves in sober judgment. It's amazing to me how ministry can often become a source of pride when it's really meant to be an expression of sacrificial service. Pride, by definition, is simply looking at yourself instead of God. That's the source of pride. You're looking at yourself instead of God. And so some people think of themselves more highly than they ought to think. They think, look at me. Look at my gifts. Boy, the body is lucky to have me. And, and they use their gifts as a personal identity. Some churches put certain gifts or, or certain gifted people on pedestals. The Corinthian church that we've been talking about in the past few weeks was cer certainly guilty of that. They, they created a cult of personality where it became all about following a certain gifted person or getting into some elite group within the church. Listen, that, that's not sober judgment. And if you've ever experienced that in the church, uh, I'm sorry. That, that is not the way that the church is supposed to act. But we all need to consider ourselves in sober judgment. The gift says a lot more about the giver than the, whole, than the recipient. The gift says a lot more about the giver than the recipient. And the truth is that we bring nothing to the table except the sacrifice of our bodies in worship to God. We just come as willing vessels. Now, now, sober judgment is also then not assuming that God doesn't want to empower us to serve. This is a, a really important caution. Remember, pride is, is simply looking at yourself instead of God. And so some people struggle with pride in a different way. And they need to consider themselves in sober judgment in a different way. They think, I should be able to bring more to the table. I should be, but I can't. And therefore, God must not want to use me. He must be done with me. Listen, loved ones, that's pride. It's pride. It's putting the weight of importance on what you are able to do instead of what God wants to do through you. Notice what Paul says is the antidote to this type of spiritual pride. He says, consider yourself in sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. How do we think of ourselves rightly? How do we, how do we have the right head on our shoulders as we're thinking about ourselves? Uh, we, we do it according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. In other words, our service is not focused on ourselves. It's focused on faith in God. And to the degree that we can operate out of faith, it's to that degree that we can then serve the people around us. 
Our judgment of ourselves does not come from our own work, but the work that God has done in us through Jesus Christ. And so has faith in God's mercies brought you low before Him? Have you recognized that everything that you have comes from Him? Everything that you don't have, He can provide. Take a moment each day, each day to consider your position before God completely in need without Him, but by His mercy, fully equipped to serve the people around you that He's called you to serve. Now here's how God equips the body. Look at verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, Let us use them. So we have three faith-motivated steps toward ministry. One, present your physical body as a living sacrifice. Uh, Two, consider yourself in sober judgment. And And then this, you can serve out of the motivation of grace that God has given you. Serve out of the motivation of grace God has given you. So over the past few weeks, we've been laying the foundation of this idea of spiritual gifts. Motivations of grace, gifts of grace that God gives to His people. And and we've been seeing that to be a part of the body of Christ means, first of all, that you've confessed Jesus as Lord. You've been baptized spiritually through the Holy Spirit. And then physically in water baptism, you've been identified in those ways with Christ and the church. And then the Holy Spirit gives gifts to each member as He wills. The the church is the body of Christ. Every local church is an expression of His body. And so we've, we've talked about how if you're genuinely a part of the body, the body needs you. And you need every other part of the body. Because God has empowered each part of the body with these spiritual gifts. He wants to build up His body as each part works together speaking the truth in love. So in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6, we saw three ways that the same God works in His people. He says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. We, saw, we see three words there. Uh, gifts. That's, that's grace gifts. The word is charisma. It comes from the word charis, which means grace. Gifts, grace gifts that enliven the body. Uh, service or, or ministries, the, the roles that we serve in in the body. And then activities, the, the actual work that we do. And I made a diagram uh, to show you the differences between these words and how the gifts work. Uh, I wanted to go into this a little bit more, but I don't have time for today. So it's just there and it's in the version notes. Uh, there should be a link to the PowerPoint as well. And you can take a look at that. And if you go back uh, to our sermon a couple weeks ago, uh, on, I believe, uh, the 8th of March. Uh, we, you, can, you can follow along with that diagram and it should make sense. But uh, in, in that, we can see that, that there's these motivational gifts of God's grace. And that's what Romans 12 seems to be pointing to. Uh, not so much our roles or activities, but, but the gifts of grace that enliven the body and motivate the body in different ways. And so verse 6, look at verse 6. 
It says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. In other words, if the grace of God is motivating you in a certain way, then do it. Don't sleep on that. Start serving in that way. We aren't really sure if this is an exhaustive list of spiritual motivations. It's probably not. But I would say that it is an inspired list. And we should be careful to know what these particular motivations are, these gifts of the Spirit. And we should also be cautious before we assign any other motivation the same value as spiritual gifts. So we're not just seeking to add you know, the gift of singing or the gift of guitar playing like we saw earlier here today in, in, the, in the skills and abilities that they have. Uh, we're seeking to understand what, is, what are the inspired gift lists that God talks about. And so we, we need to be a little bit careful about how we go about this. But a lot of people start to then wonder, how do I know what gift God has given to me so I can use it? How, how do I know? And, and I think there's a more important question uh, before we get to that point. Uh, before you can know what gift you've been given, you have to know what gift each gift actually is and how it actually functions. And, and so you'll see a chart uh, begin to develop on the screen, and there's a link to a more detailed version of the chart in the version's notes. Um, and I thought it would be helpful as we look at the definitions that are coming in light of our current situation to, to also consider how each gift might look in a crisis like uh, our world is facing right now and how they might respond differently. And so the first gift that Paul mentions is prophecy. Prophecy. To proclaim spiritual truth with motivation of revealing sin and correcting wrong. That's what prophecy is. And a lot of times we, we think of prophets as like ones who tell the future. Uh, but the actual ideal of, of prophecy in the Bible, the, the emphasis of prophecy is not the idea of foretelling, like telling the future, but rather forthtelling. It's proclaiming the truth that God has revealed as the absolute standard of truth. So the prophet's primary message was not to say, uh, this is what's going to happen so that you can know what's going to happen. The primary message that he was getting across was, uh, this is what you need to do. Repent. Repent. Turn from your sin. Trust in God. And if it serves God's purpose to reveal sin and call people to repentance by telling something that's going to happen, if it, if it serves as a warning and it's going to get their attention, uh, then the prophet, God, through the prophet, can choose to do that. But in this day, when we have the words of Scripture right in front of us, uh, the one motivated with the gift of prophecy in a spirit of love is, is typically calling people back to what God has already revealed in His Word. They're going to say things like, like, Jesus is returning soon. God said it, and we believe it, and so we need to return to Him. We need to focus in on Him. Their heart is that God's people would live purely before Him. So in a crisis like this one, uh, the gift of prophecy might be, motivated, uh, might be motivating someone to 
most strongly, maybe get on social media or, or create a video and just say, look, look, this is getting our attention, people. This is showing us our, our mortality. This is, this is showing us how much we need God. And so this is an opportunity to check our hearts before God and return to Him in prayer and faith and our nation. And more, more importantly, the church needs to get on our knees. We need to confess sin. We need to cry out to God for mercy. We need to uphold the cause of the weak and the vulnerable. We need to look beyond ourselves to our neighbor because that's God's law of love. That's what the message of the prophets in the Old Testament were. That would be how a prophet would consistently with the word uh, speak out on behalf of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. Prophecy is an important motivation, but it's only one of many. There's also the gift of service. The gift of service is to see and meet practical needs. And so this is the person whose who's first response in a crisis is just like, what can I do? What, what can I do? How can I get working? And, and they're on the phone with the pastor or they're on the phone with service organizations and they're like, they're just like the worker bee that wants to meet everyone's needs, right? And a lot of times they aren't even asking, they're just already into doing it, right? People motivated by service are so, so critical to the work of the body. But then there's others who are more motivated in the area of teaching to clarify and communicate truth. And so instead of the prophet calling out repent, uh, the teacher is the one demonstrating how doctrines like God's sovereignty and the fallenness of the world are important to understand in in wrapping our head around the current situation. Uh, They're going to critical texts and explaining them so that God's people can know what is true. They're, They're the ones researching and sharing about how the church responded to the things in the past like this. They're giving truth about how we need to respond in the present. And so this is personally, just by example, this is how I personally am most motivated. But the body needs more than teachers. We need people who are motivated in the area of exhortation. Exhortation is to come alongside, encouraging, stimulating, and motivating others to full maturity in Christ. Now, a lot of people think of exhortation like some strong word of rebuke. And that's not really it at all. Exhortation is speaking courage into the hearts of God's people based on God's truth. They're emboldening people's faith. It's coming alongside and urging them in the right direction. Actually, if you want to see an example of this, a form of the same word is used in verse 1 when Paul says, I appeal to you. The word appeal is is the same root word as this word exhortation here. This is a person in a crisis who who you need in order to remind you that God's got this. And you don't need to fear, but you need to walk in faith. And and they're going to actually get in there and walk alongside you. They're going to text you. They're going to write notes of encouragement. They're going to give you a phone call. Listen, if this is you, uh, fan that gift into flame right now. The body needs you right now. But if all you have is is people talking in a body, uh, you don't have enough. The body needs some people, by God's grace, who are motivated in the area of giving. to, To share personal assets with others for the support of their ministry. In a crisis... These people are are looking into the most effective ways to fund and resource the work of the church. They're making sure that we're being good stewards. They're making sure that every dollar counts. 
They're personally contributing in ways that are sacrificial beyond the average member because they understand that, that ministry, spiritual ministry plays out in a very physical world. Maybe they are uh, personally giving to people in need because they want to make sure that everyone is looked after. And if that is you, thank you. Thank you. You are so needed in the body. Now all of these people who are motivated to prophecy and to serve and to teach and to exhort and to give, uh, they're going to be most effective when they're organized. And, and that's where this next motivation comes in. Uh, leadership or administration. To coordinate activities of self and others to attain a common goal. The word literally here means to give aid. Uh, leadership is giving aid to the whole body by making sure each part is able to operate effectively. They're making sure that every, every part of the body has what they need, that they know where they're going. They're making sure that we don't have mission drift, but we stay focused on Christ and His purposes for the church, and we, we kind of stay in our lane in that way. They're helping people use their gifts. There are a variety of gifts that, that need to be organized. We've seen them prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership. And last but not least, we see the gift of mercy. To identify with and comfort those in sickness, pain, and emotional distress. There's a lot of that going on in our world right now. And people motivated by mercy are the ones that are rushing toward those who are suffering and hurting and on the outside and they're providing them with care. They're, they're sacrificing their own personal well-being for the sake of those in need. And so those are the, the gifts that Paul mentions. Um, they, they don't necessarily determine the role in which you serve. Like, like, like teachers aren't always teaching a class. Sometimes they're, they're helping somebody in one-on-one -on -one discipleship. That maybe, maybe they're even leading worship and teaching in that way. Maybe they're, they're serving in the nursery and teaching the person that they're serving alongside of. So it doesn't necessarily determine the role in which you serve or necessarily even the activities you're going to perform in those roles, but it's going to provide the motivation for how you're going to serve in those roles and activities. It's going to provide that foundation. And so the question is, how are you motivated to serve out of the grace that God has given you? How are you motivated to serve out of the grace that God has given you? Even in this time of social distancing, how are you motivated to build up the body of Christ through the gift that God has given you? Maybe you're wondering, uh, well, how would I even begin to know? Where would I, where would I begin to figure that out? Uh, all of these things sound like nice things, but I'm, I'm not really sure any one of them fires me up. First, I would say that you need to pray. You need to get on your knees before God and ask Him to reveal it to you. Ask Him to show you how He has supernaturally motivated. And, and sometimes we don't see our spiritual gifts because we're more focused on our natural ability rather than God's supernatural ability. And, and so seek Him for that. And then, as you pray, get serving. I teach in our membership class that the spiritual gifts are, are discovered in practice, confirmed in community, and expressed in service. So first of all, they're discovered in practice. Just start serving somewhere. Any, anywhere that you see a need, just get in there and serve. And by the way, uh, sometimes the needs that you see 
can kind of tip you off to how you're motivated. If you always see financial and material needs first, and you, you're just like, I got to meet them. Why isn't anybody talking about this? We got to meet these giving needs. Then maybe your contribution gift is really strong. If you always see sin and the need to repent, and, and you see it in your own life, and you see it in the people around you, and perhaps you're gifted in the area of prophecy. As you serve and you begin to see your primary spiritual motivation uh, pop out on that list, then, then go to somebody and ask them, who, ask somebody who knows you well. The gifts are confirmed in community. And so specifically here, if you're a part of our church and you're in a gospel community, I would encourage you to ask your gospel community. Uh, like, I think I'm motivated in this way. I, I see the Holy Spirit empowering me in this way. Do you see it? Maybe, maybe just instead ask them, um, how do you see the Holy Spirit motivating me? Maybe you don't even have a place to start, and you just kind of ask them. The gifts are discovered in practice, confirmed in community, and finally they are expressed in service. Expressed in service. The goal of knowing your spiritual gift is not so that you can know it and just feel good about it. It's not so that you can put yourself in a box and define yourself by it. It's not so that you can derive your identity from it. It's so that you can simply serve the people of God. It's so that you can go to God for His direction and will in the area that you are motivated Having gifts that differ, differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. The worship team can come up. And as they do, I, I want you to think about how are you motivated to serve others in the body of Christ this week? The opportunities are many, even in social distancing. It's going to take a little bit of creativity, but the opportunities are many. And so don't let a day go before you present your physical body as a living sacrifice and consider yourself in sober judgment and then serve out of the motivation of grace God has given you. Let faith in God's mercies motivate a life of ministry. Let's pray. Father, I, I pray for your people right now. I pray that you, would, uh, that you would help us to understand how you want to use us in this season. I, I pray that we would know, first of all, that you are the one empowering us. That, that you are the one who has first given all. You are the, the servant the God of the universe who made Himself nothing, took on the form of a servant, made Himself a sacrifice, and died in our place. Father, if there's anybody watching right now who does not know that, may they come to know that. May they come to You in faith and then present their lives as a living sacrifice because they have been brought from death of the old man to life in Christ. And then, Father, may, may you help us to consider ourselves in sober judgment. May we not put our hope in what we can do, but in what you want to do through us. And then, Father, I pray that you would use us to serve, that you would motivate us 
Help us to see the needs that are around us. Help help us to reach out to others in the body, even though we can't be together right now through a text or a call. Help us to remember them. Help us to, to lean into this time together and know that you have a purpose for your body and that your plans are good. And I pray that the world would see your body at work in ways that they could never imagine. In unity that is completely foreign. Because we are not conformed to the patterns of this world, but we are transformed by the renewal of our minds. Lord, only you can do this work in us. And so we ask you to do it. Reveal your will for us. We recognize that in all of this, we bring nothing to the table, but that all we have, all we can hold on to, is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And so we worship you and praise you in this moment based on that truth. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church. Stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Until then, remember that you are loved.